Welcome to this God-inspired message from Shofar Christian Church. Enjoy today's message. May you experience the presence of our Father and may you grow deeper in your relationship with Him. So what we're going to be speaking about tonight, the title for tonight's sermon is The Gospel, The Foundation of Fellowship. And a question that I want to ask us, you know, is why is it that a couple of strange people like ourselves with different backgrounds, different likes and dislikes can come together and experience the feeling of family? Why do we feel so at home? Even though the first time you walk into that doors, you know, Robert and Celia, they're sitting there at the back. We were friends in high school, me and Robert. And uh, Celia works with my wife, you know, and we, 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 never, we never spoke to one another. We never bride together. We never went to do something together. And all of a sudden, you know, they, they get saved. And now they basically live with us. It's just making a joke, you know, but Sunday we were together at church, Tuesday we were together at marriage prep, Thursday small group, Saturday we brine together and again now we're here together at church. Why is that? What knits us together? Why all of the sudden, with no you know, similarities or we have the same hobbies, you know, we didn't meet on the golf course and realized we clicked. What happens there? You know, why is it like someone like me, and I'm going to share a bit of my story as we go through tonight as well. Why is it that someone like me, that even in the world of a secular person, you know, in the eyes of a secular person that did not follow Jesus before I met Christ, they would say, you oh, that guy is living in sin. Now, how is it that even me from that background can step into a place and all of a sudden I feel freedom here. I feel family. I feel that I can be myself. I can be open and transparent. Why is it okay to be real here? And why is it that some struggle with that? And like I'm saying that as well, for easy it is for some people to come in and experience that fellowship, to experience that feeling of family. Why is it so difficult for other people? You know, what is it that some understand and some don't? What do we grasp? What is it about the gospel that binds us together, irrelevant of where we come from or what we like or dislike? What is it? I'm going to read us a passage of scripture tonight, 1 John 1, from verse 3 to 10, and see what we can learn from this, and also share what, what I learned from this as I came to meet the Lord, and as I came to encounter his people. And John is busy writing to a group of people, and he's saying to them, the message that we're proclaiming to you, that which we are writing to you, we're writing it to you, we're proclaiming it to you, so that we might have fellowship. If you understand this, if you grasp this, if you live it out, the inevitable outcome will be fellowship with God and fellowship with his people, a real biblical fellowship, regardless of who you are. So let's see what we can learn. 1 John 1, from verse 3 to 10. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that your joy may be full. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, 
we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. John ending there on some strong words. And as we read through that, you know, John is writing to a group of people and he says, the outcome of what I'm writing to you, yes, you will be cleansed by the blood of Jesus. Yes, you will experience fellowship. And yes, your joy will be full. Your joy will be complete. You know, there's something in life which we know isn't as it should be. When we look at our own lives before we come to meet Jesus, and even afterwards, you know, there's times when we still experience like Werner just shared. Yes, we have the hope of the world that is Jesus. Yes, we are forgiven, we are sanctified, we saved. But we're still not immune to the effects of sin, to the darkness of this world. But before we come to meet Christ, more than ever, we know, we see, we understand that something is wrong. Our joy is not full. We don't have peace. And then as I begin to explain my story also to people and I tell my testimony, I also say we have to begin in Genesis 1 and 2. We're not going to go through the whole Bible. But we see Genesis 1 and 2, God creates everything. Creates man and, and wife. And he breathes into them and they become living beings. When his spirit is breathed into them. And what we see there is how God created us in his presence for his presence. That's how we were created. We were meant to have a relationship with God. That's how it is meant to be. Everything else is secondary. That is the primary focus. We were made for the presence of God. We were made to be with Him, to reflect His splendor and His image. We don't know how long it takes, but then in Genesis 3, sin enters into the world. And God says to them, you know, if you eat of that fruit, you will surely die. And they eat of the fruit and they don't die physically immediately. Eventually, physical death also entered into creation. But there's a spiritual death that took place that day. Separation between man and God. Something essential to how we were created was broken. It's missing. It's not there anymore. And for every single person that would be born after that, they would have that missing peace. That joy that is not full. That peace that is not there. That fulfillment that is lacking. And we understand this whenever we look to the world outside, even though if you're atheist, even though you're a Hindu, it doesn't matter your religion or your worldview, nobody looks at the world and says, that is how it should be. This is okay. We understand that something's not as it should be. And the reason for that is the thing we lost in the garden. The relationship with God. And, and scripture paints that picture immediately afterwards, just a downward spiral. Humans go from bad to worse. And all of scripture is a picture of God coming to pursue a sinful race so that eventually at the last two chapters of the Bible, it's a new creation once again. The new Jerusalem coming down once again. God's people restored to his presence. Every tear wiped away. Sin is no more. No more death and destruction as it should be once again. The whole of scripture paints that picture. And we understand that there was a remedy in Jesus. That he came to fix that, you know. And for me, 
And for each of us, it looks different. You know, when we experience that void, that joy that wasn't complete. And as I share my story, I also want us to ask ourselves, you know, what did you pursue? What did you think was going to fill that void? You get two types of people, you know, someone like me that's always busy running somewhere to avoid the problem of this hole inside. Always chasing the next thing, you know, for me, since I was in primary school, you know, I thought the thing that would fill that void and would give that complete joy was if I could be the coolest guy. Not a cool guy, the coolest. I had to be the coolest. And if you have that mentality in primary school, it means something. In Secunda, we're quite tough guys here, so we already fought in primary school. So we must have it. And I can't remember, you know, I was always so scared. But my friends, you know, they thought, you know, Brown, if we're in a fight or something, we just call Brown, he'll back us up. Now I never wanted to, you know, I was so scared, but I had to do this, you know, I have to be the cool guy. And you need to take, you know, the girls to watch a movie, and if your hands touch, you know, yeah. Tell your friends at school, primary school today, it looks completely different because of the overstimulation that this world is, is giving kids from a young age. But that was us. You know, and you take that same mentality and you move to high school and it looks completely different. What it means to be the cool guy changes a lot. All of a sudden, it's not okay to simply just touch hands and relationships become physically very quickly. Began to drink from a young age. From the next party to the next party to the next party, always moving because I don't want to be confronted with that void of emptiness, that joy that's not complete, that something that is not there, that brokenness. Always running, always going. You know, and for me, I, I remember I hated it to be alone. And when it came to punishment, I was always so scared that my dad didn't want to spank me because if he grounds me, then I have to be alone with myself. And remember, whenever I was alone, I was confronted with these things, you know, even who am I, you know, what do I like, what do I dislike, I don't know, because I'm continuously living for other people. What I think they like, what I think they don't like, constantly doing that so that I can just, you know, try to fill this void with whatever. And halfway through high school, you know, everybody's drinking and fighting, partying with the girls, so what now, you know, we want to be the coolest. And so we begin to experiment with drugs from a young age. First weed, you know, then this thing and that thing. Everything that we can get our hands upon, we use. Because we want to be the coolest people. And then at the end of high school, you're confronted, okay, what to do now? I didn't study very hard because it wasn't the coolest thing to do. But I at least had, you know, the couple of, of subjects that they said that if you have this, you can do something after school. By the grace of God, I passed them. And I thought to myself, okay, what to do now? You know, I'm not going to be the cool guy now because now everybody's going somewhere. And I thought to myself, helicopter pilot. Come on, Anu. Come on. That's pretty cool. And I remember at that stage, you know, my dad, you know, being, having me as a child, you know, also very, very much grace was given to them as parents. But what do we do with this kid? You know, he's constantly, then he wants to do this, then he wants to do that, then he's pursuing this, then he's pursuing that. Is he really going to sustain, you know, keep this going? Will he, will he make it? They were actually here this morning when I did the same sermon. And I remember the day my dad took me to Pretoria, a place called Rotor Ops in Centurion, to go and do my helicopter license, you know. And my dad's looking at the guy and he says, Thank you, you can it can do. I'm going to put some cash down for him to do this now because we don't know what else he's going to do. 
maar gaan hier die mannetje dit kan doen. The guy looks at me and says, yeah, thanks so. And there we were. And I remember when we were away from home, you know, at least we were, we had Werner, you know, he was a head boy in high school. And I, also, I always tried to corrupt Werner. You know, to, to get him to come with us and just to come and enjoy life. But he never wanted to. So at least we had that conflict, you know, of knowing that certain things we do isn't cool for everyone. So at least it you know, dumbed down our, our passion for doing all bad things a bit. Kept us in check a bit. But now we're in Pretoria, they're not there, my parents are not there. And things just spiraled out of hand. And soon we did everything we could find our hands on, you know. Cat, cocaine, ecstasy, MDMA, shrooms, that which we could get, we did. I remember one day coming back from Pretoria, my dad said, you know, do you know how much extra money I gave you this month? That is now stuff that I said, now I need new shoes for gym, or we're moving gyms, or we need to go this or there when we're flying. And he says, 26,000 rand. So I paid him extra. And as parents, you know, they heard the stories, but I, I believe they always had that hope. Maybe it's not like that, you know. Maybe it's just stories. Maybe he's really busy with the right things. And they just kept on. And I remember going back home in just a couple of weeks before I got my license. You know, you're supposed to get your license in a couple of months. But I thought, you know, all of my friends study three years. So why not also take three years? So it was quite a delayed process. And I remember, you know, the day that I got my license, supposed to be this fulfilling day, this joy that is complete day, this void that is now filled. You know, I'm not the cool guy, I've made it. And I remember that day so clearly. And I walked home and my friends were all there and I walked into the room and I kicked open the door and yay, I got my license. And I was even more mad at myself because I stumped my toe against the door. I, just, I could remember it so vividly, you know, just this disappointment, this thing that's supposed to fulfill that just doesn't. And I remember I just sat there in that little room in our house. I thought to myself, is this really my life? You know, is this what I'm called to do? And a week or so later, my flight instructor calls. And he says, don't you want to fly with us to someone's game farm? I'm going to go count some game and everything there. And, you know, the guy really wants you to come. I haven't met the guy before. And I just felt that day, you know, something inside me saying, leave your stuff and just go. Now I know it was God starting to work in me, the Holy Spirit starting to prompt me just to go. I remember arriving at the airport near, I'm confronted with this weird little American guy called Landon. who would lead me and my wife to Christ a couple of months later. But the weirdest guy, always stopping to pray for literally everything. You know, he was one of those guys that as he starts to pray, said, yes, Lord, this morning I woke up and I went to make coffee. And then there wasn't water in the kettle and I was already a bit disappointed with the day. And I'm just like, what? What is he saying? Why is he praying that? We, don't, we just say thank you for the food. I mean, come on. We're not going to eat now. Why are we praying? And I was just confronted with this guy that has a real relationship with God, intimate. And as we sat there, I know that I'm busy chasing the wind, constantly chasing something to just try and fill that void or just not deal with it at the moment. The drugs, that, that high that leaves you low and you need stronger stuff and better stuff and more stuff the whole time. And here he sits in the middle of a recession, everybody is complaining about everything and he's just having a joy that is complete and full. Peace. It's like, oh man, I want that. I want to experience that. What's that? And as I fly around more and more with him, we just come to these people that's just the same. Just this peace, just this fullness. 
And eventually we went with him to church and afterward we went to cappuccinos, me and my wife sitting with him and we prayed and we gave our hearts to God. A week later I was baptized. And I wish I could say that from that moment on I was the holiest person on earth, never sinned again, but that's not how it works. And other people, you know, they, they don't have that, that something that they're constantly chasing and all of us it looks a little bit different. You know, something that ma makes me so sad many times is many Afrikaners, you know, they have that mentality of pension. One day, I know that, that I don't like my, my job as much as I should, you know, and I know that there's something that's not quite, quite right in me. I don't experience that peace. I'm always anxious. I'm always worrying. But one day, when we go on pension, when we live in the bushfield or there by the sea, then I'm sure it will be okay then. For some people, you know, they have this picture, young girl, you know, one day I'm going to have a, a husband and, and children and then then that, that void will be filled. I'm putting my hope in that. Now, other people, they're a bit more introspective and they just can't get around the void. And they're always depressed. I'm always isolated. You know, remember those people from school. They're very aware of something is not right. But they haven't clinged to Jesus yet. So you get a lot of different people that cling to different things. You know, and many times when I tell my testimony, when other people tell my testimony, you know, they would say something like, yes, Vian was rarach ver van hieraf. Wow, he was, he was far from God. God really needed to do much to get him saved. I mean, if he can save me, he can save anyone. I've heard it a, a lot of times. It was really a miracle that God saved Brown. Young guy was fair. But the moment we say that, there's something about the gospel that we don't quite understand. Because if we say that, by implication, you say that you are not that far from God. You were not that corrupted by sin. It was not such a miracle for God to come and save you. And many times we think that certain people were dead in their sins, but others just had a cold in their sin. They just needed some vitamins. But that's not so. We all struggle with the same thing. Listen what, to what John says here in verse 8 and 10. It finds itself here surrounded by this verse 9. It says, if we say we have no sin, that's after coming to salvation, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar. And his word is not in us. Whether we at verse number 8 or verse number 10, we are deceiving ourselves. Whenever you think that God really needed to come and save me, you were not that far from God. You're deceiving yourself. And the truth is not in you. Many times we have this idea, you know, of a staircase leading to heaven. Say there's a hundred steps. Obviously, I didn't even know the staircase existed. I was way off. But some people have this idea that they were halfway up the staircase. They just ran a little bit out of breath and then God came and quickly helped them the last couple of steps. You know, I made it to 80 or 90. Then God luckily came and saved me. That is not the case. That is not the case. It says in Romans 3.23 that we all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There's a passage of scripture in Ephesians 2 verse 1 to 4. Please, if you have time, go read it on your own. But it says we all were dead in our sins and transgressions. 
We all were led astray by our sinful natures. The spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience were at work in us. And we were by nature children of wrath. We were destined for God's judgment. All of us, all of mankind. We all were dead in sin. Nobody had a simple flu in sin. Everyone was dead. And we needed God to come and send his son to come and save us. All of us. Takes us to point number one tonight. The foundation of fellowship. Point number one. We all have the problem of sin. We all have the problem of sin. Every single human being will wrestle with that. Every single person was born dead in their sins. Except Jesus. The one that came to save us. You know, and it manifests different. It looks different in all of our lives. But the core of it remains the same. Jesus did not come to deal with the results of sin alone, but to deal with the core of sin. Where is that? That's here. In my heart. In your heart. In your heart. He came to deal with that. A.W. Tozer writes and he says, Men no longer have peace in their hearts because God is enthroned there no longer. That is the problem. God is no longer king. We want to decide what we want to do. We want to decide what's right and wrong, what's bad and what's not. We want to act as if we don't need God that much. And scripture says that's blasphemy. You are saying that God is a liar. Because I am not saying we have a problem. God is. Jonathan Edwards, he also wrote that we contribute nothing to our salvation except the sin that made it necessary. That's the only thing we added. And in some of us, we, we gave a heart to Christ younger than others, but that simply is the grace of God towards us, nothing else. Even in the road of sanctification, some experience a greater growth than others. Same with the Apostle Paul. He said, I excelled all of the other apostles. I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God towards me. It's God working in me. We have nothing to boast in. The only thing we added was the sin that made it necessary. And today I want to ask us the question, do you realize what God did for you? Do you realize it? Do you realize the condition that you were in or maybe are in at the moment? Do you realize that Jesus had to come and die to save us? Because if we don't realize that, we will struggle with fellowship. Either if I understand that I'm sinful, but I don't understand forgiveness, I will always feel inferior. These people are always better than me. If I don't think I have sinned, like John says, and I deceive myself, I will always think I'm superior. There's a story in Luke 7. You can always go and read that on your own. It's 36 to 50, a story we know well. Pharisee inviting Jesus over for dinner. And a sinful woman runs in and she starts crying and washing Jesus' feet with her tears. And the Pharisee says, you know, if only he realized how sinful this woman was, he wouldn't have allowed her to touch him. He's thinking of the stairs. She doesn't even know where the staircase is. I'm at stair number 90. I mean, I'm almost there. This woman doesn't make it. And Jesus says there was a money lender and he owed, gave money to people for one 50,000, other one 500,000 and he canceled both their debts and he asked the Pharisee, which one do you think loves 
the most. And he says, the one that's had the greater debt forgiven. And Jesus says, look, look at this woman. Do you see why she loves? Do you see what she understands? She loves much because she has been forgiven much. But the one who's forgiven little loves little. And Jesus is not saying that some of us need little forgiveness. He's saying some of us think so. That's the problem. The wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. For each and every one of us. And as we realize that, as we come into a place where we realize that we have sin in common, you know, we are struggling against the same thing. Before salvation, yes, it looked different. But even after salvation, we're not perfect. That scripture says if you say that you have never sinned, you lie. If you say you don't sin now, you lie. We experience that, that friction in our lives, desiring to be like Christ, but confronted with the problem of sin in our lives. And as we see that together, we look to Jesus. Together, we run to Jesus. Look at what it says in verse 6 and 7. It says, if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. What does it mean to walk in darkness? It says in John three nineteen that the light of the world has come into this world. But the world has loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. I'm saying that I'm actually okay. You know, that's the worldly mentality. Let's pretend that everything's okay. Let's pretend that there's no void. Let's pretend that there's no brokenness. But we actually have it all together. Many Christians act that way. We say we have fellowship with him, but we're actually walking in darkness. We're hiding a lot of things, and it cannot work that way with God because he knows. And we do not practice the truth. But then it says in verse 7, But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Then we experience that renewal. Then we experience that forgiveness. Together. The scripture links that two passages together. We have fellowship with one another and he comes and cleanses us. The person in Verse number six will always struggle with fellowship. I'm asking that us tonight as well. Do you struggle? Do you find it difficult? Is fellowship easy for you? Because we have to look at what do we understand or maybe don't understand. What do we live out or what do we don't live out? But the person number six is always trying to pretend that worldly mentality. Let's say that everything's okay here. You know, I remember for a long time in my life, I was there. As South Africans, we get born Christian. I don't even know there's another option. Obviously, I'm a Christian. My parents said so. That's the mentality that we are raised with. And I was confronted with that, always walking in darkness. And I remember that the stuff that we used to use, some of the drugs, you know, like cat and cocaine, it's a white powder. And cat specifically, you go and buy it in this, this rock and take it home. You warm a plate in the microwave and you crush it. The bank card. That's empty, obviously, because you're crashing the rock. That's why you can ruin it. And you make it into some couple of lines for everyone, then you, you snort it into your nose, and then you stay awake for a couple of days, always with the you know, idea before, and because you're deceived, you're going to do a lot of good now. We're going to be so productive. But you never are. Always busy with the wrong things. And remember, you know, that it... Leave some residue on your nose. And when we're busy with the friends that's always in this darkness, then it's okay. 
But the moment we have to go out in public, I mean, you clean your nose and you make sure everything's okay, but you know, I remember always speaking like this to people with my head lowered. You know, I'm just so scared they see what, what's actually going on. What I'm actually struggling with. Yeah, yeah, is okay. Everything's fine. Why, why do you ask? And I just wanted to isolate myself continuously because I'm saying that I'm having fellowship with him, but I'm walking in darkness. There's no truth. There's no transparency. And it doesn't work with God that way. You cannot pretend with God. And the next day, the day after I give my heart to Jesus, it's okay to come into the church and to say, listen, you guys, this is what I struggle with. This is what's actually going on. When we're in darkness, you know, the devil's always saying to us, no, don't say. Don't say, fix yourself. It doesn't work that way. We're here when we walk in the light. It's okay. Why? Because we know we struggle with the problem of sin together. It looks different for all of us, but we struggle with it together. And it's only Jesus that can come and renew, that can come and heal, that can come and sanctify. We have that in common with one another. It's only Jesus that can come and heal. That is how fellowship looks like. Verse 7, true biblical fellowship, being open and transparent with one another as we allow Jesus to come and cleanse us. The world says, let's all try to be perfect. Here we understand, no, we're not. No, we're not. We're struggling and that's fine. We can do it together, at least. That takes us to point number two, the foundation of fellowship. Point number two, we all have the same Savior. I wanted to say the only Savior, but we have it the same as well. There is only one Savior, and that is Jesus. And we have him together. That's what we have in common. That a loving God came to save us. That we understand that unless it was for the goodness of God, we all would still be dead in sin. It's only Jesus that comes and saves. And like I said, you know, I told this morning as well, with my mom, we cannot pretend with God. That is why we struggle so many times, you know, to really go into deep intimacy with God. Because we're constantly confronted with this mentality of pretending that it's okay. Social media works on that principle. Only post what looks nice. Only post where you're happy. Only post where, where your child slept through so that you can make the other ones jealous. Nobody says photo, you know, here's all dear mekaar. Seventh time, the baby's woken up. It's only 12 o'clock. Feeling great. Loving it. It was fun, they said. Nobody posts that. Only the good ones. Only the ones that people like. And we're constantly confronted with that and we try that with God and it doesn't work. Because he knows and maybe some of us just need to have one of those moments again where we go to God and say, Lord, this is it. This is my heart. These are the weird things I believe. These are the weird things that I'm busy with. These are the things that keep me distracted, Lord. And if I'm honest, there's times when I don't want to pray. I sing the song, I love you, Lord, but there's no feeling. There's nothing coming out. This is me. You know what the great thing is? God says, I know. Let's work through that together i have made a way i will come and heal that if you are open and transparent with me and then scripture says we can do it here as well you know for me 
the addiction of alcoholism and, and drug abuse that left me immediately. I have no withdrawal symptoms, nothing. God just came and took it away. But pornography, man, that was a struggle. And I needed to come into the church and say, hey, guys, this is what I'm struggling with. Won't you walk a road with me? So I said, yeah, I deal to that as well. Let's walk around together. Let's keep one another accountable. Let's go and have coffee. Let's go and pray with one another. Let's go and read through scripture together. But we will battle this together. And that's okay. You know, sometimes we forget because at, at, at your job, it's not okay to constantly tell people what's all the things you, you do wrong. Don't go and do that with your boss. He will not be too pleased. He won't say, oh, Christ, let's pray for that. Maybe if he's saved, but, you know, I doubt it. It's not going to be the outcome. And then we forget it that in the world, it's not okay to, to confess your sins. It's not okay to acknowledge our brokenness. But yeah, when we have fellowship with God, we think the way God thinks. And it says in the next chapter, in chapter 2, verse 6, that those who say that they have fellowship with him or they abide in him should walk as Jesus walked. We walk in love towards one another. The same heart that God has for you, we do. As God forgives, we are called to forgive. As God encourages, we are called to encourage. As God walks with you, we are called to walk with one another. We have the heart and the mind of Christ. That's why it's okay. And always remember that. Don't struggle alone. Doesn't matter what lockdown has done or the things that maybe you have fallen into again. Because that's how it works. When we are isolated in passive, temptation comes. The enemy will always try to isolate us, always try to get us passive. But it's fine. We can walk out of that darkness into the light and there will be healing and forgiveness. God says, confess your sins to one another. Pray for one another so that you might be healed. He knows. He knows. It's like my mom. You know, I always thought that I could hide stuff from my parents as well. We had this little food bin that you got that dross back then. You know, your master course, course blicky. And we had all of the stuff in there, you know, and I remember I would walk into to our yard and I'd go to my window and I'd put it outside and I'd walk back in and greet my parents, go to my room and get it out of the window and put it underneath my bed, thinking that they don't know anything. Then my mom comes, are you doing these things with that guy? She says, no, mom. She says, but that course blicky was here when you went to his house. He brought it back. She said, near Nils a course blicky. It's not mine. It's Neil's. She says, Neil came on Friday. That thing was here on Thursday already. Mom knows. You can hide nothing. But even more so than mom, God knows. And like mom, he wants to forgive. He wants to have compassion. He wants to deal with it. So let's allow him to do that. You know, and as we see this, as we see that we have the same problem, as we see we have the same savior, the only one that comes to heal, the only one that gives fullness of joy and peace, the inevitable outcome is point number three. It says here in verse three to five, that which we have seen and heard, what we have experienced, we have seen God, we have seen what he comes to do in our lives, we've seen the healing that he, that he has brought, the fellowship that he has knitted us together with. As we see that, we proclaim it also to you. So that you too may have fellowship with us. There's people that don't understand this fellowship. There's people that's stuck in a life of brokenness, trying to pretend, chasing something that will never fulfill, never make all. And we are proclaiming to them 
you can have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things to you so that your joy may be full. This is the message we heard from him and proclaim to you, that God is light. All of a sudden, another thing that knits us together is the mission that we have. It's no longer about what I want to accomplish in life. And if you also want to work with me or come with me or have the same hobbies and stuff, whether we click or not, that doesn't matter. What matters is that we have been called as a church to make disciples of nations. And that is what knits us together. We are fixed on the same mission, on the same vision. This is what's going to happen. We know that the world is broken and that Jesus is the only one that saves. The rest doesn't matter. And we continuously remind one another of it, but we continuously proclaim it to the world, also together, in unity, in true fellowship. Takes us to point number three, the foundation of fellowship. Point number one, we have the same problem of sin. Point number two, we have the same Savior. Point number three, we all have the same mission. And I have to say tonight, you know, if the mission of God, if there's not a burning design in your heart that consumes almost everything you do to go and make disciples, of nations and the truth is you might have some friends that might be christians that might have the same likes as you but that is not godly fellowship and i'm not saying that we should give up on our hobbies and the things that god has given us a passion for i'm saying let's do that but with the vision in mind when we do it let's do it with believers as we encourage one another when we do it with unbelievers let's remember there's a message that needs to be proclaimed as we do it, people need to know that Jesus came to save. That is the mission. And whenever that drifts away, you know, then all of a sudden the fellowship becomes smaller and smaller. There's fewer people that I connect with. Why? Because I constantly want to chat about rugby or this or about that. And there's nothing wrong with that. But if someone doesn't like it, then I struggle to connect because I've lost sight of the mission. I've lost sight of the vision. And as Robert was one day at my house, Maria comes walking in. And all of a sudden, they know one another from nowhere. And all of a sudden, they chat about how to reach people for God. You know, what's effective ways that they've shared the gospel when they deal with someone that's very, you know, confrontational. How do you do that? No, just pray this. Or let's just say that. Or all of a sudden, they just click because they have the same mission. Know one another from nowhere. But there I'm standing now. No one's talking to me anymore. I feel left out. And it knits us together. No matter who you are. I've been to Malawi, and you come there, and you, you've never met these people, but all of a sudden you feel like this is home, because we have the same Savior, the same mission. We struggle against the same thing. We're united together. In lockdown, we prayed together with Shofar London. As this strange faces popped up on the screen that we've never seen before on Zoom, all of a sudden it's just this feeling of family. We know one another, and we start to chat. No one sits there in awkward silence. Because especially there, we know that we are there to pray. So that this world might realize that there's a problem of sin, but there's a solution of a Savior. We are united in the mission. I'm going to end for us in prayer, and I want us to turn to one another. Zoom, you're going to go into a breakout room and chat about it. How are you doing fellowship-wise? It comes to walking in the light. I know it's a difficult conversation sometimes, but how are you doing? Have you dealt with that problem of sin? Are you bring it into the light? Are you turning to the Savior? Are you focused on the mission? So let's end off in prayer and then we can turn to one another. And if you're done, please go grab a coffee and let's have this fellowship together.
Yes, Lord, thank you that you are good, Father. Thank you, Lord, that I just also pray, Father, that whatever we might feel tonight, Lord, the enemy comes, Lord, and he wants to come and condemn, Father, and say that those things that we are struggling with, Lord, that we have to go and deal with that on our own, that God won't be pleased that, you know, people will think strange of us, Lord, that is not the truth. We cannot deal with it on our own. We will go from bad to worse. You say that you have made a solution. You have come, Lord. You have died for us. You have made a bridge to restore what was lost, Lord, so that we might know you, have fellowship with you, Lord, and with your people, but carry the same heart of forgiveness, of trust, of joy, of encouragement. And may we be that for one another. And we also repent, Lord, of the times we fall short. We won't always make it. We won't always have that heart. Yes, sometimes we will judge, Lord. Yes, sometimes we will struggle to forgive, but have patience with us, Lord. May we have patience with one another as we pursue you, Lord, as we struggle together against sin, as we look to a Savior together, and as we go on mission together. The body of Christ united by your Spirit. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness in Jesus' name. Amen. You can turn to one another and just discuss how are you doing with your fellowship.